Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the End Palm Podcast, a new one-on-one show where I sit down with the folks behind some of our favorite games, or maybe the games that are just around the corner. I'm Alex James Kane, author of the Boss Fight Books entry on Star Wars Night Sealed Republic. I've written for places like Polygon, who published my oral history of Morrowind in 2019, for Killscreen, Rolling Stone, and Glixel, Variety, StarWars.com, USA Today, PC Gamer, and Fangoria Magazine. I thought this podcast might be a perfect way to catch up with some of the people I've talked to in years past, meet some very cool new ones, and learn more about the art and craft of making video games. My guest this week is a guy I interviewed in January of 2019 up in Edmonton, Canada, when it was freezing cold and Polygon wanted me to go and check out one of the most anticipated games of that year, Bioware's Anthem. My hands-on time with the game was a mixed bag. I was jet-lagged and exhausted and had a headache. But I loved being at Bioware after spending a couple years of my life interviewing people who had a history with the studio and telling the -the behind-the-scenes story of their 2003 game, Knights of the Old Republic. And Anthem was the game I thought I'd abandoned Destiny for. I thought Anthem was going to be my jam for a long time to come. It didn't quite go that way, and it broke a lot of people's hearts when EA pulled the plug. But I really enjoyed my chat with game director John Warner back then. So I wanted to catch up with him, hear more about his journey through the games industry, and ask him what he thought about Anthem and all its lost potential now. I'm grateful this worked out. This is me and John Warner. So, I mean, how have you, you've, you're still in the Edmonton area and then working remotely, or how's that going? Uh, no, actually, I've moved to uh, British Columbia. British Columbia. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm over in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, and it's going well. Good deal. Yeah. So do you, are you kind of a hybrid employee? Do you kind of work from home some of the time or? Actually, I'm fully remote now. We don't have a, uh, we don't have a presence, uh, an office presence in Kelowna. So I just, uh, I'm fully remote. That's very nice. Love to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you, you, you were at Bioware for about nine years and then, you know, you've sort of moved to a new studio. Has that been a nice transition to kind of like lower the stakes a little bit on the project size and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've found that, uh, you know, coming to a smaller studio and having some, uh, just smaller team dynamics to, uh, to deal with has been kind of refreshing. It's, a good change for me, kind of what I needed. So uh, that's been nice. Yeah. So as far as like going back to the beginning of your career, you started out as like a software tester. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I started off uh, in games. I started off as a as a contract tester for Microsoft, and uh, you know, working on original uh, original Xbox titles. Then got a full time gig with Microsoft, and you know, it was off to the races. I knew at that point, you know, games was where I wanted to be. Yeah, you had like a lot of cool sort of odds and ends as far as projects that you're credited on, like that Lynx 2004 golf game and like there's like a Dragon Ball Z game in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they were fun. They were great. It was a great place to start. And, you know, when you start out in QA, you really kind of learn the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, how games get made and how to break them. And uh, it was a great place to start. 
yeah, like you kind of learn the vocabulary of all the different departments, right? And you can kind of talk to exactly. everybody. Exactly right. What are some of your early memories of video games as a medium? Do you have kind of that first game that you remember? Oh, playing? yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was so aging myself here, of course. But I remember my, my dad worked in in wholesale sales for different department stores and stuff, right? And so my dad one day brought home uh, the original uh, Pong machine back back in the day, early 70s, I think that was. And so Pong is my first video game memory and just being completely enthralled by that. And, uh, you know, never really looked back from there. I think I've owned pretty much every system, not the, not the niche side ones. I didn't, I didn't have a Neo Geo, but uh, I had pretty much everything else. And uh, just, it's been a, a lifelong love affair for me. That's awesome. Yeah, my dad had the Pong thing that you're talking about when he was a kid. And so he held on to it and I got to kind of play around with it when I was like seven or whatever. So that thing was neat. <laughs> right. The, the inputs to the TV were that little fork that you'd stick yeah. into the antenna uh, thing and screw them screw them closed. And I uh, was it tuned to channel three and flick on the power and boom, we were playing Pong. So, I mean, obviously there's probably a lot of history from there to like, I want to do this as a career, but do you remember kind of that idea of wanting to work in games? You know, it, it it's bizarre. I had a really, a really kind of accidental path to games as a career. I, I had always wanted to be a storyteller and uh, I, I knew that from a very early age, but uh, games didn't really occur to me as a, as a, as a career. I was working as a, a software developer. I was a, a UI UX designer for an enterprise software company. And one day, you know, we show up to work and the security guards are there and you're like, rut row. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, we all got laid off that day. And it was the, I, that was the first time I had ever been unemployed and I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And uh, I was just kind of trying to figure things out. And uh, a buddy of mine called me up and said, hey, um, I'm at Microsoft and we're working on this new thing called the Xbox. He says, I think you should, I think you should come work with me. I think you'd really dig it. I was like, well, sure. Sounds good. I love games. And, uh, God, yeah. Never looked back. It just clicked. Nice. So the layoff happened. That was at Dell or is that right? Uh, yeah, it's actually, well, it was a company that got acquired by Dell. It was a uh, Perot systems. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then you ended up at avalanche working on some disney stuff and that's kind of where you started as like doing producer type producer. things yeah yeah that's right my my very first game dragon ball z sagas that was uh <laughs> that was a game that was mostly complete by the time i came around uh but worked with atari on uh, on that one and uh you know that was a that was a fun little project uh definitely kind of uh, a good place to figure out uh, a switch from qa to, to producer Awesome. And then, you know, at a certain point, you decide to apply at Bioware. I assume that must be between like Mass Effect 2 and 3, that sort of time period where... Yeah, Mass Effect 3. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the most desirable developer in the world for a moment there, right? With Mass Effect 2 and 3 being like these huge blockbusters. And then so you come on and do some of the DLC, like the Citadel and that kind of thing. That's right. Got to, to work with the team that was doing uh, Mass Effect multiplayer. Got to be senior producer on uh, the Citadel. Uh, those were man. Those were great experiences. Yeah, yeah. 
I ended up playing the Citadel DLC by accident when I played through Mass Effect 3, like the remaster recently. And it's, uh, it's so good. It's such a nice little kind of happy note to kind of cap off the adventure before you go and everybody gets slaughtered. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a really cool, like little, uh, victory lap. I liked that a lot. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Really cool. I mean, so what, what was that experience like of, of working in the mass effect universe? Uh, well, you know, it, it was transformational in, in many ways, you know, getting to work with, with Casey Hudson, um, and the mass effect team, I just learned a ton from all of them. Uh, it was a very humbling experience. You know, you just show up at Bioware as a, as a senior producer and, you know, knowing that literally everyone else on the team knows more about making mass effect games than you do. Um, so it was a very humbling experience. Uh, I'm super grateful for it to this very day. Uh, like I said, I, I learned a ton working with Casey and the whole Mass Effect team, honestly. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still applying those lessons, uh, you know, that I, that I learned back then. It was, it was transformational, man. Yeah. And then did you have a pretty active role in Andromeda? Like you were, is a game director, right? No, not on Andromeda. I had, uh, I had actually had no part in Andromeda. That was, uh, Mike Gamble and, and his crew. Yeah. So that was mostly developed out of our Montreal studio. Uh, by the time Andromeda came around, I had rolled over and was, uh, at the time senior producer on Anthem with, with Casey. Hadn't been named yet. It was still Project Dylan at that point. And, uh, yeah, and that's where, uh, that's where I stayed. Nice, nice. And then at some point, Casey goes off and works at Microsoft for a while, and then you end up as game directors. So, like in the Bioware terminology, what is what does like a game director do versus you know is that a lot more like creative input? Well, at the time, game director was kind of new nomenclature for Bioware. Project director probably would have been a more uh, accurate moniker there. So really, I was working as uh, somewhere in between uh, senior producer and executive producer, uh, basically managing the product, managing the product and the team. It was uh, yeah, what an amazing team and uh, it learned just so much from that project as well. So was it was it hard to see the decision come down the line that it was going to sort of be sunsetted and and like when the they sort of pulled the plug was that a hard day yeah it was a hard day i mean by that time i had uh, i had already transitioned over to being chief of staff at bioware but uh i had a great love for anthem and you know the austin team the uh, team down at bioware austin had uh, had taken over the live service of the game and uh you know they had so many cool things planned for that i was really hoping that the game would have a chance to live on and, and correct some of the problems that I had at launch. And yeah, I was, I was super sad when that happened. Yeah. I mean, like we sort of got, I think like one big raid activity got added to the game, but then like none of the sort of story expansions or any of that stuff kind of ever came to fruition. Like in terms of the lost potential, like what do you kind of wish people had gotten to see? Oh man. Um, <laughs> The, the whole the whole uh, kind of second expansion for that uh, was really taking a lot of the things that we that we wanted to do uh, in the initial release and just blowing those out. So getting more of the story, 
opening up new areas, getting new suits. You know, it, there was just so much there. Uh, I was uh, I was really hoping that people would have gotten to play those and really explored the world more deeply and gotten into the lore of uh, you know the gods who created uh, the world and who, who then you know mysteriously disappeared. There was great stuff in there that I was hoping to see come around. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, they had like a lot of writers working on it and I'm sure that, yeah, a lot of the story stuff is just kind of uh, buried at this point, but. Um... The lore of the world, you know, was that, you know, humanity for, uh, for a long, long time had been kind of a slave race uh, to these, this other race who, who used to be around. They mention it at the very end of the game. You know, they, they find this body, this mysterious body. And that was a whole second chapter to the campaign that was poised to, to be opened up. Uh, so that would have been, that would have been amazing. Oh yeah, that's right. The, there's like the hero in the, yeah, they find like the sarcophagus and stuff, the temple or the tomb. It, like, would you say that the campaign, like the campaign was really good, but then of course, like, you know, it sort of ends with just like that, that initial defeating of the boss, like. Did it feel truncated a little bit, like a lot of what the story wanted to be was left to the expansions? Yeah. Or, yeah, it it was it was fairly truncated. I mean, you know, honestly, we were learning so much about what creating a game like Anthem really entailed, and uh, you know, those, those lessons they they didn't come cheap. And figuring out how to how to run and launch a, a live service game of that magnitude. You know, when you've never done one before, it, it was uh, it was it was something else. It was crazy. You end up making you know decisions and choices and making sacrifices to to try to get the the best possible thing you can out the door and still maintain your deadlines and your and your budgets and things like this. So you know, it's never easy. Yeah, I, like from the outside looking in, it seemed that the the old hardware probably was a big challenge too, right? Like the PS4 and the old Xbox one, you kind of launching on really old hardware. Yeah. And you know, God, we had hoped to get Anthem out sooner than that before the hardware generation change. You know, the project took a long time. There were lots of resets, you know, with, with Casey leaving and, and, you know, different, different, uh, talent coming and going through that project. It was, it was just hard. It took us a whole lot longer than we wanted it to. And, and so, yeah, we ended up bridging the, the console generation. And you're right, that that is never easy. Yeah, it seems like something that would have been a great like launch game for like the Series X and the PS5. And it sucks uh, that it didn't yeah. kind of make it to that point. But like, how do you feel looking back? There's, you know, I've had conversations with people about like, okay, Bioware is like this kind of studio with like these rich, you know, dialogue character driven you know storytelling systems and companion characters and then this idea of like how do we make like the eternal live service multiplayer game like fortnite or destiny you know it's a really hard problem to solve right balancing those two things do you think that's something that studios are going to keep trying to to do or i you know to tell you the truth i don't think so uh, I think that, uh, it is, it was really hard. That's a, a, such a hard thing to balance. And, uh, you know, you've seen, uh, you know, a couple, couple studios take a run at it. You know, Bungie, of course, has been phenomenal at it. 
but uh, and of course Fortnite. I don't know that people will continue trying that. I, I think that uh, you know we'll we'll see we'll see what the what the future holds. I, I'm hearing you know rumblings that you know this could be the the second era or the second uh, wind for MMOs, uh, which that could lead us to some interesting places that eternal evergreen kind of game so we'll see we'll see but uh they're they're punishingly expensive to to create and uh so i think that just by its very nature that kind of limits the number of entities who can even take a, a kick at the can yeah yeah there's a lot more games being made with like these 200 million dollar budgets that used to seem you know like the yeah, old republic yeah. had you know at the time that was really insane but uh right yeah and it's becoming more and more commonplace right where it's just the price per pixel for that kind of entertainment is just it's really high right now so we'll see what happens i mean there's lots of interesting technology coming into the fore so we'll see if it helps drive down the production cost do you, do you have advice for people uh in terms of getting into qa do you think that that's like the ideal entry point for people looking to get into the games industry the way you did or um yeah you know what god alex is there a is there an ideal way to get into the games industry uh i i'm a fan of going in through qa but you know qa is a well-respected fully blown career path you know it's it's not just a, a gateway to to get into other uh, disciplines but it is uh for me it was a great way to do it I think that honestly, you just kind of have to go in with uh, the skills that you have and the ability to say, Hey, you know, is that, is that thing over there need doing? I'll do that. <laughs> uh, you know, QA is a, like I said, was a fantastic education for me. But if you're, you know, coming in off of a degree, if you're an engineer, if you're an artist, an animator, a writer, you know, there are, there are lots of different entry points now. Uh, a lot more entry points than there were when when I got in. Sure, I think like that early Xbox era has kind of this reputation, or maybe in some limited cases of like that things were sort of focus tested. But I mean, I imagine the role that you were in, it was kind of like let's try to break the game and, and more of like a formal QA process. Is that how you look yeah, at QA? Absolutely, and I I got what I consider to be a, a great education in in QA. Uh, Microsoft has a great methodology of, you know, black box and white box testing. And, you know, it's very, it's very methodical and it was uh, very deliberate. And so for me, that became uh, a, a world-class education on, you know, not only how games get assembled, but, you know, what you can do to, to break them, where their weak points are, what work? It was a fun time for me. I, I loved it, and, and I learned a ton. So, yeah, you know, if you can get in through QA, it's a it's a great education. Awesome. Do you see a lot more of these kind of you're getting people who are sort of AAA veterans founding their own studios, and certainly you see that with Bioware people like Casey and Humanoid, yeah. and sort of all these other uh, offshoots of like Bungie and Bioware. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue? Where you get these sort of mid-sized studios. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to be part of a large AAA studio and and feel like you've got a lot of creative control. 
and so if you're if you're hungry for that sort of a experience and control and you really want to be more hands-on guiding the the game as well as the studio then yeah you know i think we'll continue to see people break away from big triple a studios and kind of forge a path for themselves uh i i think that's great i think that's how really innovative amazing things get made awesome yeah i i think that you'll see more sort of focused like specialized game design too right like this idea of this game is sort of this one thing and we're going to try to do it really well yeah i i think so too i think you get some real interesting not only focus but just creative energy when you're working in a in a small team environment and uh i think that that naturally just brings a lot of really interesting innovations to the fore. So I'm excited to see what happens. I'm really stoked to see what Casey and Humanoid comes up with. And uh, like you said, there's a lot of other studios that are cropping up and good, good time to be a player right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's like no end of great games like this year, especially. <laughs> Dude, yeah, my stack of to be played is, is insane. Do you, do you find a lot of time to still play stuff that comes out or? Uh, you know, uh, not as much as I used to have, but, uh, but I still, I still do. I still try to get out there just to play as much as I can. I'm, I try to be pretty omnivorous and, you know, jump on game pass and grab a bunch of stuff. I, I was just playing the new, uh, Final Fantasy 16 demo on my PS5. Uh, and now, uh, I'm in the mobile industry. Uh, there's so much to play in that space. Uh, so I, I find myself just having to pick and choose what I can and can't do. Yeah. It seems like mobile as a, a whole concept, like mobile games can be a lot more things now, right? Because the power is there and you can have like the yeah. division on mobile or PUBG mobile. <laughs> uh, it's kind of wild, right? So do you see it your is. studio experimenting with, with different things or is it sort of sticking to pretty small tailored? Right now we're sticking to pretty small tailored things. I think that you know, Hyper Hippo has uh, has a really particular take on uh, on what a great piece of mobile entertainment can be, and you know, it's really about uh, that short form uh, interactive entertainment, something that can give you a lot of happiness. You know, playing it for you know ten, fifteen minutes, and then being able to put it down and walk away and do something else. I I really believe that what we're we're vying for these days is the attention economy. You know. Along with you know players' dollars and whatever disposable income they might have, it's it's really their attention. I mean, between all of the myriad streaming services, uh, AAA gaming, there's just so much out there right now that you know if we can find a way to fit into a player's lifestyle and deliver a really fun and joyful experience, and then let them go on their way and, and invite them to come back and play a little bit later, I think that's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah. So is that what mobile games like in terms of I pick up my phone and I can play something for 60 seconds or two minutes? Is that kind of where mobile games excel, you think? Um, I think there's definitely a, a place for that. You know, like you said, there's now bigger, longer experiences coming to that platform like The Division or uh, what was I just playing the other day? Torchlight. You know, there's those larger experiences are are definitely available, and I got a backbone controller. I play with my backbone controller quite a bit. Um, but you know, the, I think the really nice thing about the phone and mobile and mobile gaming is just the ability to pick it up and play it when you have some time. 
uh, I was in I was in the U.S. Army for a while, and uh, I had constantly in my cargo pocket my my original Game Boy, you know, the old beige brick, right? And would play Super Metroid just whenever I had like fifteen minutes. And for me, that's kind of the 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 place where mobile gaming fits in really well for me right now is it's always in my pocket and I'm someplace and I got some time. I, I like to just, you know, be able to pull it out and, and play. And, you know, I think that there's lots of space there for all sorts of different uh, experiences. You think that your background in the, the military, did that help deal with like the stress of AAA game development? I <laughs> Well, it certainly gives you a sense of perspective, right? Perspective, yeah. And I know I often think, well, hey, no one's taking a shot at me, so it can't be that bad. Um, but uh, stress is stress. And you just kind of have to grapple with it as best as you can. So, yeah, I, I think a sense of perspective more than anything else is, is what it gave to me. Cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and chat a little bit about sort of your journey and bioware and anthem like those those games mean a lot to people and i i certainly enjoyed anthem a lot for the you know 70 or 100 hours that i played it so <laughs> alex thank you so much yeah thank you and um yeah best of luck with with all the new stuff and and, and wherever you go next this is great thank you i appreciate it take good care yeah have a great weekend thanks take care see ya